Father, we do offer you our hallelujahs today in, in just gratefulness that Jesus has died for each and every one of us. That his cross is the reason we have life. He told his followers, including us, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that nobody comes to you, God, but through him. And so today, God, that's what we do. We're coming to you. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear you speak to us. We want to hear the things that you have for us. And I pray, Father, that yours is the voice that we hear. As we come to you through our Savior, Jesus Christ, the only one who can give us access to you. We thank you for who you are, for all you've done, for our time together so far today, and for what you're going to continue to do. May you be glorified, God, in Jesus' name. So James chapter 3, we're picking up in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Throughout the course of James thus far, we have spent our time looking at the practical things God is communicating to us so that we can grow in our faith and maturity in Christ. In chapter 1, we read that if any of us lacks wisdom, this is chapter 1, verse 5, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. So we talked about this fact that if any of us lacks wisdom, we can ask God. And God will give us the wisdom that we need liberally, right? There's no limit to it. It's not like you're going to go to God and say, Lord, I need wisdom. I gave you wisdom last week. You're out of luck. Right? He's not going to do that. And he's going to do it without reproach. We're not going to come to him and ask for wisdom and he's not going to say, oh, geez, not again. Right? He knows that we need his wisdom. He knows that we need his guidance. And he's not mad at us when we ask. Today, we're going to look at what that wisdom really looks like. How that wisdom is defined. Probably would have been a little easier for us if James had put it in chapter 1. But he decided to put it in chapter 3, so we all had to wait to get that. Verse 13. Starts off with, who is wise and understanding among you. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now, remember, I, I love to talk about context. The context of chapter 3 is the untamable tongue that we talked about last week. And if you missed that, well, I want to encourage you to listen to it, but then maybe not, because we, we, we got a little, it was fun. Right? Because the Bible says what? Out of the same mouth. We bless God and we curse men who are made in the likeness or similitude of God. Out of the same mouth, we 
can't have fresh water and salt water or bitter water. It just doesn't work. He actually says this must not be. And he goes, so if you're wise and understanding, well, I think part of being wise and understanding is understanding what God wants us to do with the way we communicate to and about people. But who's wise and understanding? The word for wise here denotes a person who has a discreet or cautious character, has practical skill, intelligence, and is thoughtful or wise. The word for understanding means to be endued with knowledge, to comprehend, to know, or to put one's mind upon. The person who has these qualities in Christ, not a worldly knowledge, which we're going to talk about in a moment, but illumination and understanding from the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, will show this character in their lives by good conduct done in the meekness of wisdom. Now, we talked a lot about good conduct in chapter 2. You show your faith by your works. You say you have faith. I say I have works. Are you, you, you show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Our works are the natural outcome of our faith in Christ. If we are believers and followers in Christ, we should have good conduct. We should live like it. Right? Now, I don't want to go over that. I already preached that sermon. That was in chapter 2. You can feel free to go back and listen to it. But I love the word for good conduct here because it literally means beautiful behavior. I like that. Beautiful behavior. So if we're wise, if we're understanding as we follow after Christ, we're going to have beautiful behavior that's done in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, it will be executed in the humility of this godly wisdom applied to our lives. And of course, Jesus is always our example. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what does good conduct done in the meekness of wisdom look like? There's three words we're going to pull out of that Philippians 2 passage bondservant, humble, and obedient. You want to know what it's like to do good conduct in the meekness of wisdom? Well, first, you're, you're a willing servant of God. You're following after him willingly. When God says go, you go. When God says stay, you stay. When God says speak, you speak. When God says not to speak, you zip it. You're a willing servant of God. Humble one of the things, you ever, you ever meet somebody who's not humble? You've met me. So there you go. I struggle with pride. I struggle with pride like a lot of people do. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis said it one of the best ways ever, and I know I've used this before, but humility requires that you're honest with yourself and you have a good memory. That's all it takes. You want to be humble? Be honest with yourself and think about all the dumb things you've done while you're here. But he humbled himself. You, you want to 
have good conduct, beautiful behavior done in the meekness of wisdom, be humble. Finally, be obedient. One of my favorite sayings that came out of a series we did a while ago is, learn to say yes before you know the question. Now, not for me. You wait till, wait till I ask the question. But if God says, Jason, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Remember Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Who should, who, who's going to go for us? And Isaiah didn't go, where? What do you want me to do when I get there? How am I going to get there? Where am I going to get the funds? I need new sandals, Lord. I can't go if I don't have new sandals. What did he say? Who's going to go for us? And Isaiah said, me. Here I am. Send me. Say yes before you know the question. So Jesus is our example, and that takes us to verse 14, because there is wrong wisdom. If we're going to, he's going to define what the wisdom looks like for us, well, he's going to tell us what the wrong wisdom looks like first. Verse 14, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So there is a wisdom in the sense of knowledge and intelligence applied to our lives that comes from places that are not godly. They are not from above, but as James tells us, they have an evil source. And he's warning us against these types of wisdom, as they will not be beneficial to us, or, more importantly, to the advancement of God's kingdom. So, bitter envy and self-seeking. Whenever our jealousy turns to bitterness, and we become selfish in our ambition, we are not walking in God's wisdom. Period. Right? If you're jealous of somebody and so you make a decision based on that jealousy, or that jealousy has turned into some sort of bitterness and anger, and so you're making decisions about that, or, or from that, that's the source, that's not God's wisdom. That's not where he wants us to be walking. He says, don't boast and lie against the truth. The person who makes this selfish claim, they, this, uh, with, sorry, this person with such selfishness claims to be following Christ. But James is telling us by the Holy Spirit that this person is boasting and lying against the truth. I've met people who have said, well, I'm going to do this. I'm like, ooh, are you sure you want to do that? Whatever that might be. I have several examples, but I'm not going to use them. Are you sure you want to do that? Well, yeah. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Actually, I'll, I'll use one. I had a woman once. Her husband was sick. Um, he, he actually died just, just a couple years later. But her husband was, was terribly, terribly sick. And she came to me and she said, well, I want to divorce him. And I said, why do you want to divorce him? Well, because he's sick and he can't work. And he was in and out of the hospital and he was on all kinds of medication. He had to have an IV at home, nursing care at home. I mean, the, the guy was very, very ill. And she goes, well, he can't work, so he can't take care of me, so I want to divorce him. I'm like, I, I don't think that's what God wants for you. Well, doesn't God want me to be happy? And I mustered up all the love and compassion in my heart, and I said, no, he wants you to be obedient. She stopped talking to me after that. And she divorced her husband. 
And I, and I know, and I get it, there's, there's reasons and, and there's grace, and I understand, but sometimes we just want to be selfish. We just want our own way. We don't care what God wants for us. And when we do that, that's bad. And it says this wisdom doesn't descend from above. We can't pretend such selfish pursuits are from God. They're not. Instead, they are earthly which basically means they have a worldly origin, and we are commanded to not love the world in 1 John 2.13. Don't love the world or the things of the world, for all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's not what, that's not what our pursuits are to be about. They're sensual. Now, the word sensual here literally means based on our senses. So it looks good. Lust of the eyes. It feels good. Lust of the flesh. It makes me happy. The pride of life. I like it. I want to do it. And you can't tell me otherwise. And it's so easy to get drawn in by our senses. And it's easy to get drawn in by our experiences and, and believe that they represent truth. And, and there's, there's nothing wrong with senses. Talking about camp salvation. You go to a week of camp, you're going to feel good when you come home. You're going to be tired. You're going to be dirty. You're going to do laundry for the following week, especially if you go there with multiple people. But you're going to feel great when you come home. I tell the kids at camp every single time I'm there, I'm so glad you're here. I hope that you experience God in a wonderful and powerful way. But if you do not go home and your heart is not changed by his truth and his spirit, then your wonderful experiences here didn't mean anything. They're just memories. Right? If all we want is our senses to be happy, we were warned, right? They'll, they'll, uh, one of the Timothys, Paul wrote it, that they'll heap up for themselves teachers who itch their tickling ears. They just want to hear what they want to hear. Or, you know, I, I, I know, we don't have a fog machine. I'm sorry. We're never going to have a fog machine. They're expensive, and they smell funny. And I don't think God wants us I don't think we need one. Now, some churches have fog machines. Am I judging them? A little bit. No, I, we're not judging them. And so if you really want a fog machine, have a fog machine. You know, some, some churches, they have their preacher, and he's 80 feet tall on the big screen on the front of the church. I mean, that's okay. I wonder if he's really that big in real life. I know he's not, but. And that's okay, too, but we're probably not going to do that. That's not what God has called us to do. And we need to be faithful to what God has called us to do. Because what happens when experience becomes your foundation? When wisdom is based on your senses? What feels good, what looks good, what you want to do? What happens when that's your foundation? Well, do you ever feel differently from one day to the next? Am I the only one? You guys are all much more mentally stable than I am. Good for you. Right? Some days you have a really good day. Some days, not so much. I'll be real honest with you. I love Sunday morning love being here. I love being with you. I love worshiping with you. I love that you all sit here and stare at me. <laughs> I teach, I'm just being honest. Right? It's hard to get people to look at me. I'm not that pretty. Um, I love this. I love the conversations we have afterwards. I love that there's this giant container of coffee in the kitchen. I love Sundays. I wake up every Sunday. And you guys have known, I've said it many times, I'm not a morning person. I don't like waking up early. But I love Sundays. I get up every Sunday morning and I'm like, you know what? I get to go to church today. 
I get to be with my family today. We get to worship the one true mighty God who is so worthy. We get to do it together today. I get so excited. But what most of you don't see is me on Sunday night. For some reason, and it's probably spiritual warfare or it's just because I'm tired or every Sunday night I begin to doubt Sunday morning. Oh, was, was, was worship okay? Did we really focus on the things of God? Did, did we really worship and glorify him the way we should have? I ask my wife, Almost every week. How was my sermon? Did I do okay? Did I mess up? Was there anything bad? Then Monday comes along and I actually listen to it before I post it. And it's even worse. If you ever listen to yourself preach, you're like, whoa, whoa. Did I really say that? Then my wife goes, yeah, you did. So if I let my foundation be my emotions, well, Sunday morning... I would be flying high Sunday evening, struggling. If that was my foundation, the whole point of that very long illustration was this. Your foundation would move. When your foundation is emotion, when your foundation is experience, your foundation moves. Some days it's really solid and good and wonderful. Some days, not so much, because we all have bad days. When your foundation is the Word of God illuminated to us by the Holy Spirit who dictates truth and wisdom in our lives as Jesus said in Matthew 7 24 through 27 when that's your foundation when that's where you build your house the storms will come the winds will blow the floods will rise and what's gonna happen your house ain't gonna move but when you don't have a foundation when you put it on the shifting sand of anything other than the word of God. Then when those storms come and the winds blow, you're in trouble. So they're earthly, they're sensual, finally they're demonic. Some will have a demonic influence. Anytime we want something that God does not want for us, I would bet there's a, a, a demonic influence involved. This does not mean the person is possessed by a demon. Right? So if you go, well, there was that one time that I wanted something that I know that God didn't want for me, and I did it anyway, and I was disobedient, and I repented of it, but I still did it. Does that mean I'm possessed by a demon? No. It doesn't. That's not what it means. What it means is that we have a very real enemy. And it means that his desires are very much at odds with God's will for us. Now, if you say yes to God before you know the question... If you are willing to be obedient, to humbly serve him, Satan is going to come after you. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want you to be obedient. He doesn't want you to grow in your faith. He doesn't want you to share the gospel with your friend at work or your friend at home or your neighbor across the street. He doesn't want you to live a life that honors and glorifies God. He wants you to do the opposite. And so, you ever have that? You, you know, you're, you're sitting there and you get this idea in your head, and then you automatically think, that's a really bad idea. God isn't the one putting that there. Either you're doing it. We talked about this in chapter 1. What causes us to sin? We're either drawn away by our own desires, or we're enticed. So maybe we just want it for ourselves, and that's selfishness. Or maybe the enemy knows that we want it, or the enemy knows he can get us there. He knows that that's our weakness. And so that's where he comes after us. 
So I'm not talking about demonic possession. I'm talking about demonic oppression. Right? As followers of Christ, we cannot be possessed by a demon. We are filled with the light of the Holy Spirit. And light and darkness cannot dwell together. However, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and when you are seeking by the power of the Holy Spirit and the foundation of God's word to follow after Christ with your whole heart, boy, we have an enemy who really doesn't like it. And he's going to come after us. He ends this passage by saying, or these couple verses, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. And this is the result of envy and self-seeking. We become confused over the things of God. And we start putting our will ahead of his. This results in there being evil things present in our thought lives or our physical lives. And this isn't what God wants for us. At the beginning of Philippians chapter 2 in the opening four verses, it says, If there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort or, or love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And this is really what I wanted to say what I think God wants to say. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. So as we talk about godly wisdom, as we talk about being humble and being a servant and loving other people, Humility. Get rid of the selfishness. Go to camp for a week. I'm going to keep throwing that in there because it's interesting. Verse 17. So now we get to it, right? We're supposed to show by good conduct. We're supposed to have wise and understanding. We're not supposed to have bitter envy or self-seeking. We're not supposed to give in to all of this worldly sources of wisdom. And there are a lot of Sources of quote-unquote wisdom in the world, right? You can turn on a news station, and they're going to tell you whichever one you turn on. doesn't matter if it's a liberal news source or a conservative news source or a neutral news source or an internet news source. doesn't matter. They're going to tell you that they've got it, right? They know the truth. They're going to tell you what's right. Go on Facebook. Everybody on Facebook is a self-proclaimed genius. And they will tell you how smart they are and how wrong you are if you just give them enough time and actually read their comments. I think I, I'm reading the book of Job, and as I'm reading the book of Job, this thought popped into my mind, right? Job's three comforters, they come and they start telling Job that what they think is up, what they think is really going on. And Job finally makes a comment. He goes, surely you are the men, and wisdom will die with you. And the reason I love it so much is because that means sarcasm is a biblical language. Right? You got Greek, you got Hebrew, you got some Aramaic, and sarcasm. I love sarcasm in the Bible. It makes me so happy. And, and basically, he's looking at his friends going, yeah, obviously you know what's going on. When you die, there will be no wisdom left in the world. You ever flip through Facebook and feel that way? Boy, if you got kicked off Facebook, what would the rest of the world do? No one would know your opinion. How tragic. So then we have to know what God's wisdom really looks like. And that's what verse 17 and 18 are for. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, 
gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. You know, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what does God's wisdom come from? This wisdom that we can ask for when we need it, it's now defined for us. James is telling us that wisdom looks like, and it gives us a great idea of what true wisdom from God will look like in our lives. If we think something is wise, maybe you get advice from a friend or you read an article, and you think that wisdom is wise, but it's selfish, or it's envious, or it's going to cause bitterness, as we talked about a moment ago, this, we know, that sort of wisdom is not from God. Because if the wisdom is from God, if when we go to God because we lack wisdom and we ask for it and then we know God will give us liberally and without reproach, this is what that wisdom is going to look like. First, it's going to be pure. Which means clean, innocent, honest, chaste, and holy. If somebody gives you advice or you feel like the wisdom you're getting is from God, from his word, from his spirit speaking to you, is it pure? Is it holy? Is it the right thing to do? That's the first question. Second, it's peaceable. And I like the word peaceable because it does mean it will promote peace, but it also means it will be constructive and beneficial. I've had people try to give me advice that was destructive to other people. Well, so, you know, you should do that. I, I know it, it doesn't seem like the right thing to do, and maybe they'll get upset, but that's okay because, you know, it'll get you out. No, 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 no. It's going to be peaceful, but it's going to be constructive and beneficial. Third, it's going to be gentle, which means appropriate, moderate, and patient. Is the wisdom going to hurt somebody else? Is it going to be harsh to somebody else without, without reason? That's not wisdom from God. It's willing to yield. We talked about humility. How often are we willing to yield? To say, you know what? Whether I'm right or wrong doesn't matter. You first. That's not our culture. But willing to yield means it's going to bring reconciliation by putting others first. Full of mercy means overflowing with compassion. It's going to good fruits. The outcome will be beneficial without partiality. We talked about this. Boy, James loves that word, doesn't he? It means we're not going to show favoritism. And finally, it's without hypocrisy. If it's wisdom from God, it's not going to make me say one thing and do another. I think there's multiple examples of scripture, but there were three that came to my mind. One is Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, in appointing the elders in Exodus 18. Moses was sitting day and night trying to judge all the cases, and Moses' father-in-law says, this isn't good for you. So what does Moses' father-in-law do? Jethro? He puts Moses first. He gives him an, an example, appoint elders who can help you in this business, and Moses does it. It's beneficial. It's wise. It promoted reconciliation. The outcome was good. Godly wisdom. Remember Solomon and the two women who were arguing over the living child? There were two prostitutes who lived together. They both had kids. One lady rolled over in the middle of the night and killed her child, so she went and stole the living baby and put the dead baby in the other lady's arms. Well, the other lady wakes up and she goes, this isn't my baby. She stole my baby. And they went before Solomon. And Solomon 
in his wisdom, and I know it didn't really seem like wisdom at the moment, if you don't know how this, this ends, you've got to give it a minute. You've got you to read the whole thing. He says, bring me a sword. We'll chop the baby in half, and each of them can have half. And the woman whose son it was not said, that's a great idea. That's not godly wisdom. The other woman said, no, let her have it. Because what she cared about was the well-being of the child. She wanted a beneficial outcome. She was unselfish. And Solomon says, oh, don't touch the kid. She was obviously a mom. One of my favorite examples is Jesus with the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. They bring this woman to Jesus. We caught her in the very act of adultery. And every time I talk about this example, I ask the same question. Where was the guy? If you've been through, you know, like sixth grade biology, you know that she couldn't commit adultery by herself. That wouldn't be adultery. Where was the guy? But if they caught her in the very act, I meant the guy was there. Somewhere. My guess is he was one of the Pharisees and it was a setup. My guess. But whatever the case, they say, according to the law of Moses, we should stone her. What should we do? And they thought, oh, we got him now, right? We got him now. Because if he says stoner, well, then the people are going to be like, oh, we thought you were compassionate and gracious and forgiving. And if he says, let her go, oh, he violates the law of Moses. They thought they were so smart. I'm going to give you a little piece of advice. Anytime you think you're smarter than Jesus, you're wrong. So am I. So he bends down and he writes on the ground. And then he stands up and he very simply says, whichever one of you has no sin, cast the first stone. Then he starts writing on the ground again. And there's all kinds of theories, and we've talked about this in the past. Some people think that he wrote out the Ten Commandments. I personally think that the first time he bent down, he wrote each of the names of the accusers. I have no proof of this, I just think. And I think he wrote it in, in order of their age. And this is why I think that. Because the second time he bent down, I think then he started writing their sins next to their names. Because the Bible tells us that they left from oldest to youngest. Now, why would they leave from oldest to youngest? That doesn't make any sense to me, unless Jesus was calling them out in that order. So that's personally what I think. So he writes down the first name, you know, Bill. You cheated on your wife on this day. And now you're accusing this woman. And Bill saw him right then on the ground and went, I left a pot on the stove. I gotta go. And he gets to Fred. You've been lying on your taxes. And Gerard, I don't know what it was. I'm throwing examples out. But whatever the case was, look at Jesus' wisdom. Because in Jesus' wisdom, it's full of mercy. It's gentle. It's peaceable. It's pure. There's no favoritism. And there's no hypocrisy. That's wisdom from God. That's what he wants to give us. That's what he tells us to ask for. And he closes it out. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The outcome of righteousness. That's what the word fruit means. The outcome of righteousness. And we know our righteousness can only be given to us by God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We traded. We gave Jesus our sin. He gave us his righteousness. The best deal ever for us. The worst deal ever for him. But he did it in love. 
Now the fruit of righteousness, when that righteousness is sown, which means planted or drawn out in peace by those who make peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, when godly wisdom is applied in our lives, the outcome of that wisdom will be peace. You ever had a really big decision to make? And you sought the Lord, and you were in the Word, and you were in prayer, and you were seeking godly counsel, and you were asking other people to pray for you. And you get to that place where the decision is made. Maybe it's made for you. Maybe God just tells you what it's going to be, and now you have to act it out. But the, you get to the place where the decision is made, and you're not worried about it anymore. You're not upset about it anymore. You're not freaking out anymore. You have peace because you know that you're going to do, or you have done, what God wants you to do. That's a, that's a beautiful feeling. So it might just be peace in our hearts. It might be a peaceful resolution to a situation. You ever, I've had those. I've had a lot of those. Where something happens, you go, I, oh, this, this is not going to be a fun conversation, or this is not going to be a fun meeting, or I don't know how this is going to turn out right. And God's like, I got it. Romans 8.28 is still true. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It has always been true and will always be true. God's at work. But however it works, God deals with it. And there's peace about it. Now, I don't want you to go around going, well, I feel this is right, so I know it's of God. No, I'm, <laughs> I know it's right because the Bible says so, so I know it's of God. That's where true peace comes from. I've met people. Well, I prayed about it, and I just feel like it's the right decision. I don't care what you feel. I care what the Bible says. Jesus told us in Matthew 5, 9 that blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. You know, because sometimes getting to a peaceful resolution isn't fun. Sometimes applying godly wisdom to our lives is difficult. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit to encourage us. Let's close. You ready? What kind of wisdom do you want present and applied to your life. What kind of wisdom do I want present and applied to my life? Proverbs 9.10 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So do we want the wisdom the world gives? Wisdom that will advance our own selfish desires? Or do we want the wisdom of God that comes from a healthy fear of him, from a growing relationship with him through Christ, where we have the knowledge of the Holy One and understanding that is from him. The outcome of each is very clear from this passage. On one hand, we have envy, selfishness, confusion, pride, and lies. On the other, we have honest, holy, beneficial, compassionate wisdom that is not hypocritical. Doesn't that seem easy? I think the choice is clear. But our own sinful nature at times can cloud our judgment. Therefore, we look to the word of God to define God's wisdom for us. We look to the power of his Holy Spirit 
to help us apply it to our lives. And I know, I kind of boiled that down to something real simple. Because you want to know what I just told you? Read your Bible and pray. <laughs> we love to try to complicate our relationship with Christ. But it's not complicated. We make it complicated. God makes it easy. He goes, you want to know me? I wrote you a book. Just read it. You'll get to know me. Spend time in prayer. Listen to me. Talk to me. You got a problem? Bring it to me. You feel like you can't handle it? Awesome. I can handle it. That's why we're told to cast our burdens on him. You don't know which way to go? Ask me. I'll tell you which way to go. And we, we just, we make it so much harder than it has to be. I'll give you a great example. Yesterday, I played pickleball. It was a good day. Because I like pickleball. I made the mistake of watching a video the day before on various pickleball grips. And determined that I needed to change my pickleball grip. It negatively impacted my game. Because <laughs> all of a sudden I was holding the paddle very differently than I have for the last two years that I've been playing pickleball. Why? I had to complicate it. I've been holding my paddle the same way since the very first time I picked one up. If it's wrong, so what? <laughs> That's how I hold the paddle. But I had to complicate it. What happens when we complicate things? We make them worse. What does God want us to do? Just hold the paddle. No, Lord, but you don't understand. It's got to put it right here, and it's got to be at this angle. And, and No, it doesn't. Lord, I have a big decision to make. What do I do? Well, i got to talk to this person, and i gotta, I got to look at that advice, and i got to make a pros and cons list. Anybody ever made a pros and cons list? Does that ever help? Like, Ever? Elizabeth, you're a little better than the rest of us. I've made many pros and cons lists, and when I get done, I'm like, there's one pro and 17 cons, but I still really want to do it. You know? <laughs> or or, or we, we just find ways to make it worse. What does God tell us? Talk to me and listen. So as we close, I'm going to ask the one question I ask all the time. And that is, do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that gives you access to this kind of wisdom? Because that's, that's the most important thing. I've had many people come to me who don't know Christ and they're going through some sort of crisis in their lives and they don't know what to do. And I'm like, I can't give you that. It's not my wisdom that you need. You need his wisdom. And to access his wisdom, you need Jesus. So whether you're in this room or whether you're joining us online, I don't know where you're at, or maybe you'll listen to this recording later, you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave. That whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's first and foremost. And if you're here or you're online, you can leave us a message or, or make a comment. And you need help with that. It would be my genuine and absolute pleasure to introduce you to my Savior. Second question. This is for everybody else. For all of us who already know Jesus, that's true for pretty much everybody in here. Where do you 
I sounded a little testing there, didn't I? Where, where do you need wisdom in your life? Sorry. Where do you need wisdom in your life? Because I don't know about you. I probably do, but I don't want to sound smug. But we all need wisdom in our lives, don't we? We all have decisions to make. Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I take this job? Or do I stay where I'm at? Do I... Whatever. Right? And that's... We all need some sort of wisdom in our lives. Whether it's in our relationships or in our careers or our education or who knows. We all need some sort of wisdom. And there's only one place to get it. As we talked about in chapter 1, all we need to do is ask. And we found out today... When we get an answer from God, what it's going to look like. So seek him. Tell him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we thank you that you have given us your word to be the sure foundation of our faith and our lives. Give each of us your grace, Lord, to build upon that foundation. And Lord, I'm just going to ask. Because you tell us to ask. So I'm going to ask. You know the wisdom that I need in my life. You know the wisdom that the members of my family need in for various things. You know the wisdom that every single person in here needs. You know what it is, so I'm going to ask. Give us that wisdom, Lord. We know you won't reproach us. You know, we know that you'll give us that wisdom liberally. And so we ask in faith, not doubting, Lord. I believe for us. I believe for my brothers and sisters, and I know that they're believing along with me, that you're going to answer that request. We pray for your wisdom, Lord, and we pray that we would know it because it is pure and peaceable and gentle and willing to yield and full of mercy and good fruit without partiality and without hypocrisy. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.